0: Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by a creative force in the world of jazz. Joe Granston is a trumpeter, vocalist, performer, and recording artist. He's meeting me here at there in Brookhaven, and it's a great pleasure. Joe, thank you very much for making the time to do this and for coming out here.
1: My pleasure, man. Good to see you,
0: Paul. Pleasure. It's good to be here and there. <laughs> it sounds weird, man. It's a cool spot. It, it is. Yeah. And, and if you ever get a chance, try the food.
1: Where, here? Here. Or there? At there. there. <laughs> it's I It's fantastic. I'm going to try it tonight, probably.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, Joe, what would you say has always been the purpose of the art that you create?
1: It's, um, the easiest answer to that is uh, when I was growing up in New York, my father, who's a wonderful jazz piano player and uh, singer, and my mother, who's a uh, wonderful choreographer, both sides of the family are musicians in some ways, actors. They're in the entertainment industry. So it was all around me. And, and uh, as a kid, Mel Torme and Frank Sinatra and Miles Davis and Count Basie it was on in the house all the time. So I knew all those songs at a young age and and probably at 10 years old I knew what I was going to do the rest of my life. So the the the, the art that I create or however you want to put it is is all from those experiences. It's just like that. when I play I just it rem- reminds me of my childhood, it reminds me of my parents and, and it's just a, it's a good feeling, you know. It's just it's, it's, it's my blood, it's my body, it's it's what
0: I am. Joe, do you think there are any misconceptions about jazz?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I think there's quite a few. Um, I mean, jazz in general is is a very intellectual art form, you know, and uh, sometimes it gets looked down upon because if you're not in in the place in your life where you can sit and appreciate it properly, and what I mean by that is sit and listen to uh, guys and gals improvise and create Art and create music on top of a, a, a melody that's already been um, established. Uh, then, then you might have you might have a problem with it, you know, because uh, there's a lot to say as a jazz musician. Um, the, the real um, good jazz musicians play from the heart and they play from the experiences that, that they've had in their lives. So, a solo might take a little longer than that somebody in the audience may uh, want it to take, but the real listeners they they kind of know what's going on, but. The misconception is that jazz is just a bunch of notes Mm. being played and just a bunch of scales being uh, run up and down on the instrument. It's not that at all. It may sound like that to the untrained ear um, that doesn't have the uh, patience to to accept it, right? But it's not that at all. It's it's so much more than that. It's years of training. It's years of uh, happiness, years of pain. Uh, There's a, a lot of heart that goes into it. And you have a lot of different situations where uh, you can really create that art, and some situations where it's more difficult. Maybe you're playing uh, background music at a at a you know a wedding or something. You know, hmm. it's a little harder to kind of delve in and really create create your music the way you want to. But then the next night you might be playing a concert at a wonderful jazz club with a quiet audience that really wants to see where you can take hmm. a particular song. So that that's the biggest misconception, and that's the one that we as jazz artists always try to um, uh, nicely explain to people that. I have something negative to say about it. You know. hmm.
0: What about your peers, who, who amongst the people that you know, and also the people you don't know, the people who are in the world of jazz,
1: who do you respect? Well, if you're talking about um, people that are around today, uh, I can answer that very easily. Uh, the people that are gone, it, it's, it's, it's the same. That anybody might answer. It's the Sinatras and the, and the Miles Davises and the Chet Bakers and all those people. People that are around today. There's there's quite a few that I respect and, and have had an influence on me. Wynton Marsalis, for one. I love his uh, um, I love his love of education mm-hmm. and of, of spreading this music around the world. He's one of my heroes by far. And not only is he uh, the greatest trumpet player on the planet and keeps his chops in tip top shape, but then he can also go out and inspire. Four-year-olds, five-year-olds, hmm. eight-year-olds, college kids. Um, he, I look up to him so much. There's another guy named Joe Magnarelli, who's a trumpet player in New York. I always tell this story. He, he, when I first moved to New York City as an adult, uh, I guess I was, I don't know, 21 or 22. He was the one that uh, I heard played down at Smalls. And he's the guy that told me, put all the books away. Stop looking at all these books about music and, and music books and real books. He uh, said, so start using your ears put on the old records, put on the old songs, Freddie Hubbard albums, Art Blakey albums, and close your eyes and get the trumpet out and try to play mm. and learn what they played, learn the language of jazz. I learned a little bit of that up to that point, but when it was, when I met him and he heard me play, he knew that I had a, a hunger for this music. And I think he heard that I had a little bit of a potential to play this music, but he also knew that my ear was not nearly uh, developed at that point in my life. And he said flat out, if you don't play this music, you got to develop your ear you got to get your head out of this, these books. When you look at something, when you look at a piece of music, it goes in your eyes and comes out your horn, but it never really goes through your heart.
0: Hmm.
1: When you use your ear and you hear the music, right, then it goes in there and it kind of stays. So that changed my life. I was a better musician in two weeks than I had. I had learned more in two weeks than I would learned in years up to that point. So I owe a lot to Joe.
0: Hmm. I, I don't remember who it was, but there was somebody that I interviewed that said that the big band was like uh, uh, an endangered species in the world of music. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's spot on, man. It's, you know, it's... it's... <laughs> It's almost over. I mean, you know, it's been, it's been over for a long time. There's actually been almost kind of a resurgence of the, the big band. And what they probably mean by the big band is the, is the the typical setup of a, of a Tommy Dorsey or a Duke Ellington or Count Basie band. Within, within some parameters, there's usually five saxophones, four trombones, maybe three like Ellington's band, four trumpets, piano, bass and drums, maybe guitar, and then somebody out front that's either singing or leading the band or playing an instrument. That, that style of music, Um, that was played by those guys has been gone for years. But uh, it's gone in the sense that it's not the popular music, it's not gone in the sense that it's not valid. Um, I have a 17-piece orchestra big band and we work all the time. Uh, I mentioned Winton earlier, he probably has the most famous big band in the world, Jazz at Lincoln Center, um, continues to spread this music around the world. So uh, it's still there but yeah, I mean it's, it's you know it's not it's not what it used to be. I mean, used to be able to make a a living and tour around the world with sixteen, seventeen other people constantly. And you were the popular music of the time. You were the you were the Beyonce. You know, Count Basie was the, was the Beyonce of our you know, that time. It was the popular music. That's, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. yeah. Hmm.
0: You know, anybody who wants to visit your website. They're going to see that you have gotten some of the, the biggest compliments from the leaders in their field. Mm-hmm. From Kenny G in the world of music to Clint Eastwood in the world of film.
1: I had to pay a lot for those compliments.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> what would you say has been the biggest compliment that you've received as an artist? Oof.
1: I mean, if, if, you, if you're referring to one of those folks, uh, one of those celebrities that I'm so happy that I know and, and have said nice things, Clint, Clint once told me that um, I had a haunting old sound that reminded him back in the old days and that he loved the, the tone of my trumpet. It um, has a lot to do with, with how I hear music and how I hear the trumpet. It also has a lot to do with the horn that I'm playing. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful trumpet that's handmade by Dave Monette. It's got, I think it's 18 karat gold, brushed, and it creates kind of a warmer, darker sound. I'll show you what I mean. You know, when you're used to hearing the trumpet, you used to hear this bright,
0: mm-hmm. brassy
1: kind of thing way up in the upper register. And I kind of like to play more mellow, uh, for the most part, and a little more chill. And this trumpet kind of gives me that. If I just play a few notes... just kind of has a warmth to it that can relax you which has not always been the role of the trumpet mm. you know so um, that was that was a huge compliment and uh, kenny g paid me a couple really cool compliments too um with regard to my improvisation um, that that really made me smile i have a lot of respect for kenny G. I, I spent a lot of time with him he, he produced one of my records and i spent i don't know a week or two at his house writing music guys guys a. He's a monster musician, man. He's got the great, greatest ear. Anything I play on the trumpet, he plays right back. Um, just, a, just a world-class musician. You know, he, he catches a little heat here and there. He doesn't care, and he can play, and I know he can play. You know, where do you think that criticism of Kenny comes from? A jealousy, envy, yeah, envy and jealousy. I mean, uh, you know, Kenny never came out and said that he was the next greatest jazz saxophone player to ever live. That's what he was labeled. You know. Huh. He never came out and said, I play like train or I play like bird. Uh, He just wrote some songs that he wanted to write, melodies that he wanted to write. He played them the way he plays them on the soprano saxophone. When he first started, he was on tenor. In fact, on my new record, Go Get It, he plays tenor. Sounds great on tenor. But he played these songs the way he played them, the way he loved to hear music on his soprano, with that sound that's, that's so recognizable. And they caught on. And before long, all around the world, you heard them. And it made him a big star. The um, can demand, can demand uh, pop star, rock star money, and get it because he can fill those seats. All of a sudden, everybody came out. This guy's not playing Giant Steps. He's not playing Cherokee. He's not playing. these well. He never came out and so said that's that's what I'm doing. It's, he was kind of more labeled the jazz musician, but actually, he, you know, he's a pop musician that's got amazing chops. You know, and he practices every day, all the time. I know when I was at his house, I was working on a couple Freddie Hubbard. Uh, Freddie Hubbard's a great trumpet player from back in the day that, that we lost not too long ago. Probably one of the greatest to ever live. So all, all the trumpet players, we kind of try to take his solos that he recorded with Art Blakey or, or on his own projects and copy those solos so that we can learn the language more. So you take those solos and you, you, you study them. You learn them by ear instead of writing them down and, and, or stealing them off the Internet. But I was working on a, a tune called One Finger Snap, which Herbie Hancock wrote, and Freddie Hubbard plays a, a famous trumpet solo on it. And I was at Kenny's house, and Kenny heard me work on it, he said, what's that? I said, that's just something from this, uh... oh, I like that, play it again, and I played it again. And he grabbed his out his soprano, and he, and he played it by ear, and then like, by, after, by lunchtime, he had it in all 12 keys, and he was running up and down the stairs. You know? I mean, it would take me a long time to hear a saxophone player play a Coltrane solo or a big long lick. I could, I couldn't pick my horn up and just play it right back at that person, you know. So, I, you know, going back to your question, I, I it's got to be out of jealousy. You know? <laughs> Is he going to stand up there next to, uh, next to, you know, some of the, you know, Eric Alexander or Jerry Weldon or, or some of these guys and, and sound like they sound on Giant Steps? No. What are they going to get on stage and sound like he sounds on? On a, on a pop tune, you know. He's a great musician and I, I was there, you know, I spent a lot of time with him. I love that guy.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Who out there have you not
1: collaborated with that you would really like to? I really love Freddie Cole. Oh, wow. um, and Freddie uh, lives in Atlanta, Georgia, where I live. And Freddie and I have done some things together. Uh, I played for his 80th birthday party, my big band, and he came up and sang. He sat in with my band many times when he's been off the road hanging out in Atlanta. We've been performing somewhere. But I've yet to actually sit down and write a record with him, you know, and it's been going through my mind lately um, to, to hang with Freddie. I think he's uh, an amazing interpreter of the Great American Songbook, you know, which is where my heart is. So he's probably the the one guy that. I'd, I'd like to take the lunch and just say, let's, let's put something together.
0: Mm.
1: Maybe I'll get lucky. We'll see.
0: We'll see. Something tells me you, you'll be successful. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. You said that the, the, the great American songbook is where your heart is. Tell us more about that. What is it
1: that you love about these standards? Before I started to sing, and I didn't start singing until I was 26 years old. I loved the, the way the melodies worked with the chord changes. Um, they're very, a lot of them are very predictable. They're not much different in, in, in the way the chords work, but, but they work. And I always loved the melodies of these songs. Um, there will never be another you, uh, but not for me, Darn That Dream. The melodies are just beautiful. And then when I started singing and I heard the lyrics, and realize that the, the lyrics from the 1920s or 30s, except for a couple of references here or there, apply today. The same stuff. I don't know. Just, it just just hit me in the right spot. You know, it, there's 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 pleasant um, subjects being talked about. Not all the time. I mean, there's obviously you know, some of the most famous ones. There's heart, there's pain and, yeah. and suffering. But but it's it's done in a nice way. There's no cursing. There's no you know. Not, not too much flashiness there. It's just a song, just a beautiful song with a nice set of chord changes that work. That's not to say some monster jazz because you can't come along and reharmonize it and make it, uh, you know, hipper in some ways. But I always knew I just loved the simple songs with a, with two A sections and then a bridge and then close it out with an A section. It's just to me that's that's as far as jazz is concerned and American popular music. That's, that's, that's music. Hmm. Yeah.
0: The fact that you're a trumpet player, has that in any way influenced you as a vocalist?
1: Yes, a lot. Um, uh, I mentioned earlier I hadn't sung until I was 26. I might have sung in in, uh, high school plays or or maybe a little bit, but I was playing a a gig at a restaurant that's no longer around called Veni Verifici. I just started out, man. I was a kid, man. 22 or three years old, maybe, and I didn't sing yet. And the manager came to me one night and he said, you know, you, you guys sound good, but you got to get a singer. And I said, well, give me another 50 bucks and play the spaghetti. <laughs> I forget what we were getting at the time. And he said, I can't get any more money. I said, well, how am I going to hire a singer? He said, well, I'm going to have to get another band. And I said, well, I sing. <laughs> so I completely lied. And he said, all right, next week you sing. So I rushed home and I told my father, who was a great singer. And he, he gave me a couple songs to learn. I think one was I'm Old Fashioned, uh, which is, I think, Johnny Mercer, maybe um it is johnny Mercer, yeah and uh forget who jerome kern maybe a couple other songs too and i came in the next week and i was so scared i was shaking but i sang them and i I sang them like i played the trumpet in other words i i I was very understated i was quiet i almost took a chad baker approach to it i I didn't try to do anything flashy i put them in keys that were like right in the middle range for me and i played like i sang i sang like i played and i played like i sang and it worked and I could see the people that were eating dinner and, and just chilling out. They could, they could talk and they could still hear the music in the background. So I could almost work on it because they weren't totally focused on us. I could oh. take, try different endings and try to tag it different ways. And I just realized that if I stick to the way uh, I play trumpet, I might be able to get through this. You know? And then as time went on, my voice has gotten a little bit stronger and then I put the big band together. And then I really had to kind of fill out my, my voice to, to be able to get over top of that band. So then you start listening to, you know, Joe Williams, and Billy Eckstein, and Frank Sinatra. And you, you might take a fuller breath and really try to fill it out. Um, so now, I sing sometimes a little bit more, um, what am I trying to say, a little bit fuller. Hmm. And that's translating over to my trumpet. I'm, I'm noticing that I'm playing a little fuller on the trumpet. So for me, it's like one thing, you know.
0: Hmm.
1: And it works better that way. No, fascinating. Yeah.
0: Hmm. You know, one of the things that I've noticed about you is that you appeared on tracks from a wide range of people. Like, for example, he was a guest on this show, John Driscoll Hopkins. So tell me, what approach do you take when an artist wants you to come into the studio and
1: contribute? First of all, I love John. We've, we've done a lot together since that first time we, we hung out, but... Uh, I think that my main focus is they're calling me for a reason. I'm not supposed to go in there and pretend I'm somebody else or play a certain way. If it's a pop musician, I don't, I don't have to go in there and try to sound like a pop or R&B trumpet player. you know. If it's, um, uh, I go in there and I, I, I do Joe. I play, I play trumpet the way I play it. My father gave me some advice a long time ago when I was really nervous right before I went on stage. I called him. And there was a huge crowd and a lot of people in there that were very influential. And I was backstage and I was about to go out. And I called him. I said, I don't I kind of know if I can do this. And he said, just be yourself. Just be yourself. You're not supposed to go out there and be Frank Sinatra or be Harry Connick Jr. or be Chet Big or Miles Davis or Roy Hargrove. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Just be yourself. And it calmed me down. And as soon as I walked out of stage, he said, just be yourself. That's all you can do. And it worked, man. I, it was one of my, my best performances ever because I didn't try to impress anybody with anything that I'd heard somebody else do. And I have to constantly remind myself of that. So when somebody calls me and says, we want you on our recording, I go in there and right before they roll the tape, I just, just be yourself, just be Joe. <laughs> it's, and and it, it, it tends to work. I'm not saying I don't play a, a bad solo sometimes and we have to go back and do it again, but I don't pre-program what I'm going to do. You know, It's the real true way to be, I think. Do you ever
0: have the voice in your head... You know what I mean? That that says you know, you maybe do make a, a little mistake and then you hear
1: like a negative voice or that you know, during perform like during a performance where it like um You ever have moments of you. doubt? Yeah. Yeah, I do have moments What do you of doubt?
0: do? How do you how do you overcome that?
1: The first thing I do is go back to that be yourself yeah. uh, advice that my father gave me and then I might drink heavily. <laughs> no. <just kidding. laughs> I don't do that, I'm just kidding. Um I think what I do most of the time, because I I think if you're a, i heard one time from Tommy Dreesen, who was a friend of mine, who was Frank Sinatra's opening act for 13 or 14 years. He's a great comic, right? He told me that, um, Frank told him, if if you're not nervous, something's wrong. You you better be nervous. You better have a butterfly. That means you still care. So sometimes I'm, I'm nervous and I go out there and something goes wrong and I have that moment of doubt. And usually what I'll tell myself is, I've been in this position before and I've gotten through it just just flow through that bump in the road you know <laughs> just keep the music flowing um there's there's little tricks of the trade to, to get to get out of that funk you know like for instance with the big band if my chops are not working right or my voice doesn't feel like it's strong or, or i don't know what to say to the crowd or I'm, I'm nervous because you know i'm singing a song and it's about uh, it's a beautiful subject and i look down at some guys texting you know yeah. so, and then you get that doubtful feeling with the big band, I can just kind of like let one of the sax players take a solo for 20 minutes, you know, and I can just kind of get my head together. There's so many musicians in that band that are so highly qualified to, to do something wonderful that I can kind of step aside, and while they're playing and the crowd's got their attention on them, it's okay, now what do you got to do to win this crowd back over, you know? When it's with the small group, and then it becomes much more of a, um, you better get your act together, man. You know, this is what you do for a living. These people came to see you, they spent money, and, and you're not on tonight. But they don't they don't necessarily know that and they mm. don't need to know that. So you try not to let them see any negativity. Mm. You know, I know that's kind of a long way around that answer, but but you know you just tell yourself you can get through it. You've done it before. Mm. It was much harder for me when I was twenty-three or twenty-four, because yeah. I had no experience prior, you know.
0: What would you say is the biggest obstacle facing jazz musicians today?
1: Rent. <laughs> <laughs> biggest obstacle facing jazz musicians today gigs man gigs uh, I'll give you a couple uh, gigs for sure I, I, I'm lucky I, I play 350 gigs a year you know I play all the time I'm very lucky but I spend a lot of time um, to get to that point and young musicians come up to me and say, I'm about to graduate from such and such a school with a bachelor in jazz studies or a tr- What am I where am I going to go what am I going to do it is really really difficult mm. even if you're phenomenal even if you're fantastic that's that can be an obstacle um, another obstacle is, is uh, i'm going to get in trouble for saying this but like the the real books uh, there's an app now called iReal pro right and it's it's an app you can buy for your phone everybody's got it that's a musician and, and you can find any song any song pretty much is in there and you can put it in whatever key You want want to put it in, and then it comes up on your phone or your iPad, and there's the chord changes. It doesn't have the melody, but there's the chord changes. So what it's kind of doing to our musicians that that take the bait, and it goes back to my discussion with Joe Magnarelli when I was a kid, nobody's using their ears. They all got their phones on their Hmm. piano or on their bass music stand or, or the horn players on their music stand and they look at those chord changes and they go, now it's true in a, in a performance situation, if you don't know a song that's being played, maybe you have to pull that up and you have to, you have to get it. But in general, it, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a negative thing. Hmm. Most musicians, not all, but most musicians, if they would just close their eyes and listen, they would figure it out. Um, to be fair, if you're a piano player, you don't really have that option because you have to provide those chords on the downbeat of the bar, or somewhere within that downbeat, so that the rest of the band knows where you are. The horn players, we can be lazy, we can pretend we're we're using space before we play a note, Um, but I guess I'm mostly speaking horn players as that being an obstacle, you know, just like Joe told me, throw it out and use your ear. Yeah, you're going to make some mistakes, but you're going to develop and grow as a musician. So that's my big kind of pet peeve that I talk to um, younger students about, Hmm. Uh, you know, put that thing, you don't need that thing, you know. But there's a lot of obstacles, I mean, but those, those are probably the two biggest ones. If it isn't enough that you,
0: you know, I'm sure you're very busy with recording, performing, your two instruments, the vocals and the trumpet, you have another layer, and that is your acting. How do you have the time to
1: do that? Uh, you know, lately I haven't, and I haven't, I haven't done much acting at all. You know, I I had a couple opportunities of being some. I was in some some tiny little parts in movies where I actually played the trumpet, so that was kind of easy, right? I didn't really have to act. But then I kind of started to fall in love with it, and I and I took acting lessons from Shannon Eubanks, uh, who's great, great actor and a great educator, teacher. And I started getting into it. And I was offered this uh, leading role in this movie that was being done in New York City called A Flower in the Mud, and this was going to be my big break. And uh, it took forever, yeah, for me to negotiate all the parts of my life that had to be correct. Being a husband, being a father, being a trumpet player, I, I book most of my own gigs. I have an agent, but I book most of my own gigs. I I, I kind of try to do everything myself. I pay the band, you know. I write all the checks. All that takes time. And this movie, I started working on it, um, learning my parts, trying, learning my, my uh, words, learning the script, trying to get into the character, trying to get into the story. And I was doing pretty good, um, and then unfortunately the movie uh, didn't end up happening. Mm. So, so uh, I didn't have to. I didn't go that route. It's, it didn't come out. It never happened. So now I'm kind of back in that thing where I get uh, um, asked to do auditions, and you know you have the opportunity to say yes or no. Most of the times lately, I just, I just I just can't do it. Yeah. You know? Um. Uh, but there are people that do do it, like Harry Connick, for instance. Yeah. Right? He, he he must be an amazing. Um, i I'm uh, trying to save with his time. He's, he, he, time he, manager. <laughs> yeah, he knows stuff. his because every everything he does, he's great at. You know, and I might get more into it. I've been thinking about lately getting more back into the acting thing and trying to get some roles. If it's a production on a, at a theater company or on TV or a movie, I'll go that route. But it's tough, man. Yeah, it's tough, I bet you know. And you never want this to suffer. And you yeah. have to play this thing every day, really. I can take one day off and. And you probably wouldn't know. Two days off, you, you know, three days off, everybody's going to know. I mean, it just, this muscle here has to constantly be hmm. um, respected, you know. Just the maintenance of the instrument, yeah. let alone uh, creating music, you know. Well, what's on the horizon with Joe Granstein? From a recording perspective... Um, we're going to do another big band record in the near future, and my goal is to record the entire big band just like they rec- recorded back in the, in the day. I'd like to find a studio, I have a couple in mind, that's big enough to house my big band and also has a tape machine so we can record the two-inch analog tape um, all at one time. You know, and I'm there, I'm kind of a little bit separated from the band, but I'm singing in real time and I'm playing in real time. That's that's one of my dreams to do that. It's kind of far-fetched these days. Just just to buy the tape is so expensive. To find a good tape machine and a guy who knows mm. how to run it is, is tricky, but if I can get all that done and I'm working on it now, I think that would be a very cool project. I always tell people, like, you know, there's, there's so much wonderful music that's being recorded and is out there, but we still always end up buying miles records yeah and sinatra records and uh, these names i keep repeating you know a because they're great musicians and great records the greatest people ever but also maybe the way they record recorded. maybe it sounds pleasant mm. to us when it's not all compressed and when it's not uh auto tuned um and when it's not uh, chopped up we're going to use the a section from this tape the b section from that tape and then you have this perfect 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 take with no life at all you know if you hear miles where he makes little mistakes here and there a little (laughs) clip on the trumpet or a little but it's killing huh that's what gives it life so you know it'll be hard to release that because you know you make some mistakes if you're going to do it right then you got to leave them in there otherwise what are you doing right but that's that's the biggest thing from a um, recording session uh recording perspective for me i can't wait i might even do a kickstarter to see if there's other people that are fans of the band that'll kind of help us get it done. Because right now we're on a very independent label. Hmm. Very independent. It's like independent. (laughs) I have to say I would be fascinated to hear that. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Absolutely. Wouldn't that be cool? There was a... there was a band back in the day called Cadillac Jones here in Atlanta. My friend Will Scruggs was in the band. He's a great musician. and They recorded a record. I don't even know what it was. I'm going to guess and say it was 1998. I could be way off, but it was years ago. And they asked me to play one trumpet solo. And I had an old Martin committee trumpet, which is what Miles played in, Chet Baker, and Art Farmer, all the guys from the day. And I went and did the recording session, and I didn't know that they were recording on analog tape. Hmm. And then when, when the whole thing was done and the record came out, I just I've never sounded better. Well, wow. and I'm not I'm not very good. <laughs> you know, I mean I'm okay, I'm a pretty good musician, but I was like, man, that's the greatest my trumpet has ever sounded. What did you guys do? Tape machine, tape, tape machine? The trumpet sounded warm, you could hear the overtones in it. It was just beautiful. So I really want to do that. And I will. I mean, I, you know, when something gets in my head, I, I become kind of a, a nut about it. I don't rush it, but it, it'll happen when the time is right. Huh. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, you, absolutely. absolutely. You, can, you can investigate how the old records were made. Like maybe, I don't know from what you, maybe the 60s. You know, some of those Sinatra big band records in the 60s are just killing, you know, in the 50s. Maybe there's some information out there as to how they were set up. Some of the older recording engineers might know. There's guys in town like TK Kid and. and uh, you know, John Driscoll Hopkins and Ken Gregory, those guys could all kind of find out stuff for me. So I'm down to do it. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: What is the best thing about being Joe Branston?
1: Best thing about being Joe Granston. I always tell my wife this, I have I have like the greatest life. You know, like I, I, I do exactly what I want to do for a living. I love what I do i got a wonderful family, a beautiful child. Um, I have a little bit of a, a name recognition, at least in the southeast, but yet I can still do anything I want without having to be, you know, I, I think everything's right where it's supposed to be right now. Um, but the best thing, is, is besides my family, is just uh, keeping this music alive, you know. It's just, it's just beautiful. Play golf during the day, play a gig at night, you know. Can't ask for anything better than that.
0: I always like to end the interview. I like to give the guest the stage. You can go anywhere. What would you say to anyone who's
1: watching or listening? This camera, right? The more of my CDs you buy. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What would I say to the guests listening? I would just say that uh, if you're a fan of... Of jazz music, if you're a fan of this music that we that I play and I love so much, uh, we appreciate it and we thank you for that. If you don't know much about it or you're not a fan, give it another chance. This this particular music is um, more than just music, you know. It, it it creates confidence, especially in kids. I have a jazz camp that I um, put on for kids every year. It's called Joe's Jazz Camp. And my buddy Lee Watts is the executive director of it. And our, our mission, our goal is to enhance the lives of these youngsters, you know, and, and, and just show them that through music you can build confidence. It's a team sport when you're in a big band or you're in a combo. You know, you might as well be playing a football. There's one guy that's kind of the quarterback. There's one guy that or gal that's supposed to do this, supposed to do that. So, so uh, there's more to it than just listening to it or playing it and putting it away. I mean, you you you, uh, you gain so much about life, you learn so much about your life, the dedication that it takes to be good on an instrument. Uh, once a kid starts learning that and realizing that, how much time is put in, it's no different than what Tiger Woods did as a kid, or, you know, Tom Brady did as a kid, you know, any of these guys, the hours it has to be put in is, is amazing. So I would just say to those out there, you know, it's, it's pretty serious music. Uh, give it a chance and support it, especially locally. Whatever town you're in, go hear those bands play, and uh, just keep it going so we can keep eating. <laughs> well, Joe, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Man. It's a Thank you. To be here. It really is. I've jo- enjoyed it, man.
0: I've Thank enjoyed you. it. Joe, do you have maybe a, a, just a, a little sample that you could send the viewers and listeners on their way mm. with a little
1: something? You know. Yeah, I'll play a little something. Thank you, Joe. All right, man. Thank
0: you. Pleasure. That was fun, man. I hope I didn't get too long. Papa bang total, luck upon
1: goodbye.